Hello and welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode we're looking at the environmental role of finance and financial institutions, in particular multilateral development banks. WRI held a webinar with Sir Suma Chakrabarti, the outgoing president of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, hosted by WRI's president, Andrew Steer. What were Sir Suma's insights into how the COVID crisis was shaping the EBRD's work? We're right now we're in the worst crisis any of us ever have known. And I have been struck when I've talked to leaders who've been through past crises, talking to Gordon Brown, who came to EBRD to do a session with us, that his biggest regret of the financial crisis in many ways was that he didn't use the stimulus packages that we had, say, in the UK at the time, to tilt to green. Not that he didn't care about it. It was just so urgent to save the banking system at the time that it wasn't, you know, the other conditions that could have been put on that weren't placed. So, and I think that's a big issue for us in the MDB system. Will we use the current crisis, for example, the liquidity support that EBRD is putting in to uh, the private sector, particularly to existing clients, can we use that to raise environmental standards? And I think that's a tougher question than it may seem because the imperative and the incentives for our clients during this thing is to survive. We have made a lot of progress in the last decade, I would say, because of technology, pricing, and so on, to make our clients realize that what they previously thought was not bankable has become bankable. But that's been in a time when they've had steady state growth and they've been able to plan and do so. In a crisis where you've just got to get through the next few months, the idea of having a conversation with our bankers about, well, why don't you do something on your environmental sustainability at the same time as getting this liquidity support is a much uh, tougher task, but we've got to do it. So I think there's a real challenge um, for the MDB system during this crisis to make sure we don't uh, lose momentum on this uh, agenda. I think on the medium to longer term agenda, we set this out very clearly, all of us. Uh, we were at, uh, there in September, weren't we, in New York, where we had the honour of uh, actually setting out the joint MDB uh, sort of action plan. And that has many of the ingredients that we want in terms of what we want to deliver over the, over the next uh, few years. We said an annual climate finance objective of I think $65 million billion by 2025, a doubling of climate adaptation financing. Again, that's much harder than it looks, I think, because mitigation is where many of us have been. And a private sector mobilization uh, target of $40 billion US dollars. That's huge in terms of the set of ambitions that we have for the system as a whole. I think there are a couple of things that also are quite big things for the system to do if it is to be more than the sum of its parts on this agenda. You know, one of this, I think, has to be about the MDBs acting more coherently as a proper system. We have different skill sets, different, uh, you know, business models. And I'm afraid a lot of people don't may, maybe make those distinctions. So here we are, the EBRD is a very private sector-oriented business model. The way it functions, its people, it, their DNA is a very commercial approach to doing the development business. That isn't the same, uh, say the African Development Bank or the World Bank and others. And that's okay, because we need all these different types of business models. So I think there's a whole set of issues. Is if we're trying to achieve all of the SDGs, including climate, how do we play across these spheres of crossover different business models? The second part of that, which I think is a, something I think that leads on from that, the old mentality of organizing ourselves by region uh, as opposed to business model and skills is really needs challenging. 
I think the EBRD has shown through its four expansions, where we started Central and Eastern Europe, if you like, but we're in Central Asia. The first expansion was to Mongolia. Okay, that was, a, again, a former Soviet client state and command economy. But then Turkey was always a mixed economy. Then Middle East and North Africa, mixed economies. Cyprus and Greece, mixed economies. So we have shown that our business model works now across three continents uh, in different ways. But every time we've done this expansion, there's always been a fear that business will be taken away from other MDBs if we do it. That's been the biggest fear. What we've shown, actually, is every time we've had an expansion, the pie has grown for everyone because there's so much to do. Uh, and the latest involvement of EBID in Middle East and North Africa actually shows that very well. Everyone's uh, done more because of that. So I think there's a whole question of challenging this sense of you play in your lane, you swim in your lane, and you swim in yours. And actually saying, well, actually, EBID has a set of skills which we offer on a much broader regional basis. And others are better at other things, and they should focus more. Some specialization in the system, which isn't dependent on geography. Geography matters. You need to know your countries. But actually, having a right skill set really matters and the right business model. So I think there's some reforms I would like to see, and I'd like to see the shareholders drive this, as the G20 Eminent Persons Group really suggested. How do you see sort of as a group, the sort of multi-stakeholders that you require, how do you see us now working together to see if we can really build back altogether better? This is a, now becoming the question that's running across all the workshops, conferences, webinars we're all doing, because I think we are recognizing that this isn't quite like some of our previous crises where we had, let's say, G7, G20 leadership to the fore. And I think where the leadership is coming from now beyond our institutions, if you like, beyond our, the management groups of these institutions, is really coming from, in our case, countries of operations and quite often young people. I see climate inequality as two of the big, biggest motivators of young people, whether it's in the UK or US or anywhere else, any advanced country. And it's similar now as many of the countries of operations we work in. They're also pushing their leaderships in the same direction. It's harnessing that sense of popular feeling in the right direction that's been quite a struggle and I think we in the MDB leaderships we need to do more to interact with that group. We tend to interact in a very formal structures of ways and not get really and not find a way of interacting with a set of people who could push us but also be much more supportive as well of what we're trying to do. I think we have to be pretty radical within the MDB system actually because we could do a lot more lending than we're currently doing. Uh, we have extremely conservative policies in the way we think about this. I gave a speech yesterday at the LSE. You know, I said this is a tyranny of excessively conservative capital policies. Uh, what we have is a way of looking at capital that makes it very difficult to do more, much more than we do, but we could. We could move to modern capital management. We could base our approaches on uh, risk-weighted capital rather than nominal capital. For the EBRD alone, that would uh, increase our lending ability by another 2 billion euros a year. Sir Sumer also spoke about the key issues he saw for multilateral development banks like his to wrestle with. One is, I think, policy, the importance of policy. But I think this has also led us, sometimes, I think quite rightly, to be self-denying of our basic animal spirits in our institutions. Our institution is geared, the people we hire, the bankers are geared to investing. So it is extremely difficult to say to them, actually, we'd have even more impact if we didn't invest, we did the policy work first and then invested. 
but that has happened and i think the, that's you know the famous ben ban project the solar park in um, upper egypt uh, largest one in africa now basically did not invest until the regulatory framework had been sorted out and then we decided to come in with IFC and others. And I think that's been a good example. But I would say let's take our green cities approach. I think it's really interesting that we do not invest until a mayor and his team have really committed in that city to a green path forward. And then we put the first project forward. So there's quite a bit of upfront work, therefore, that I think has changed the way we approach this work in EBID. The second thing is this whole question of justice. I relate to that very much. I mean, there's on, on a sort of, if you like, country basis. It is absolutely true. If you look at where the climate finance is going, the poorest countries are not getting a lot of it. I thought it's pretty bad, but if it's 0.1%, it's really very low indeed. And that is a big issue going forward. Seeing climate finance as a social justice issue is happening. I think it always has been there, to be honest. If you look at where we worked in Eastern Europe, energy-intensive countries, uh, former communist countries, you know, where were the most energy intensive industries? They were in the poorest communities. Those communities lived in buildings that were terrible in terms of energy uh, intensity. And that's why I think our investments in those communities has actually had a good impact in terms of basic inequality agenda as well. But I think the next part of this agenda, quite rightly, that's coming through is what do we do about the workers in those industries who we want to get out of? Lignite in Poland or wherever it is, and this whole question of just transition, as we now call it, and the financing of retraining programs, rethinking what they do, using technology maybe more and more to do that. We're in the infancy, the baby slopes. There were several others on this webinar who answered questions thrown up by the audience. In a moment, you'll hear the voices of Leo Martinez-Diaz, the global director of the WRI's Finance Centre, as well as Andrew Steer and Sir Suma Chakrabarti once again. But first, Josue Tanaka of the EBRD, getting stuck into an array of topics, starting with how digital technology can help MDBs work more effectively. Digital is very much part of our next strategy particularly because, you know, you look at energy efficiency, you look at smart cities, it's very much an element going forward. Uh, Natalia Vinyarchuk asked a question about private public and how do we work with business in our countries to convince, in a way, in terms of climate ambition. The way we do it is really very practical. You know, what we need to demonstrate is essentially, you know, a green investment is a good investment. And once you do that, then you proceed. Uh, Beatrice Merino asks about biodiversity. That's a tough one for EBRD, not because we don't feel the importance of it, but our business model, as uh, Suma mentioned, very private sector oriented, does limit to a certain extent, you know, how much we can do uh, in this area. Question also asked by Sarah Ozu on women, very much a core element, you know, in our uh, approach on uh, essentially inclusion. And that has a very strong, and that, in a way, the nexus, if you want, between green and women is very uh, high. And finally, just to try to cover as much quickly, carbon markets. That's an area where naturally, with our private sector focus, we are very, very supportive of that. But we also have to see that the way the carbon markets have been you know, in the last uh, few years makes it you know, still a difficult proposal. So we work on it. But I have to say that the, our expectations there are, I would say, reasonable, and uh, we hope to be surprised in the future. 
just want to uh, react to Suma's point on leadership, right? And how leadership from G7, G20 is, is not what it used to be at the moment, then it may take a while to change. So where then does change come from? And I think it is time for civil society to play a much bigger role. It's already happening in many other areas of society, especially equity, diversity, and, and other areas. I think in this space, what we're trying to do at WRI is to help uh, ensure that the response from civil society is, is literate, is, is finance literate, right? That we really understand and look at the world from your perspective as MDBs, that we can't just ask you to be green and Paris aligned tomorrow, but that you have also to respond to clients and a set of practicalities that we need to be aware of. So we try to make sure that we work with you on that practical perspective, but also that we are pushing for more ambition, more leadership, even as we wait for the geopolitics to align, because the reality is we don't have time to, to wait. Uh, and that's what uh, we'll continue to do at WRI. Very well said, uh, Leo. I'd like to give you the last word, Summa. 48 hours from leaving, what, what inspiration can you give uh, all of those who are online now? I re- one story that uh, has stayed with me about you, Summer, and actually influenced me. When, when I arrived at DFID, this was a time when DFID and the British government was making big bets. I mean, brave decisions. And I remember saying, you know, how on earth do you, how do you make those decisions? And you said, you said, look, you know, we're all, we all come from sort of intellectual backgrounds. And so the tendency is we want to get every piece of evidence and, and make sure everything is aligned before we make decisions. But he said, life's too short for that. And as Leo just said, life's too urgent for that. And he said, what I do is, um, you know, I try and get about 75% of the evidence I need, you know, and if it's all pointing in the same direction, I punt. And there's a brilliant, great British English word. I punt or as a rugby word. I punt. And, you know, occasionally I get it wrong, but, uh, you know, eight times out of 10, it's right. And, and we need bold leadership right now. And unfortunately in the world right now, we don't, we don't have very much bold leadership. So um, you've got a couple of minutes before we end, um, Soma, so the floor is yours. For me, this is the most important issue of our lives and our children's lives. I mean it. I mean, it's, a, it's fundamental to everything and it cuts across everything. The idea of having parcels and silos of the agenda doesn't really work for me. I think you have to think across. The politics isn't helping us right now, um, isn't providing leadership, but politics isn't permanent. Politics changes and it will change. I'm sure of that. What do we do in the meantime? Well, is what I plan to do. I plan to jump over the institutional boundaries and now I plan to join the CSO world on this. Uh, So two of the things I'm going to be doing, I'm going to stay on the Global Commission for New Climate Economy because I think it's really important. But I'm also helping a bunch of British parliamentarians, former cabinet ministers, cross-party, to get in with the scientists, civil society and others, to create this uh, clean growth leadership network. The idea being that we can galvanize starting with the UK, but I think we can galvanize it because of COP26 next year, but to galvanize people to go beyond the UK to, to really push for it, to, in a way, to try and create a leadership of experienced people who will push the system. And when the politics comes right again, will actually be a resource actually doing this. And I think the other thing, the important part of this is not just for all of us to say how much we care about it, but to do the hard work, the analytics, the data, the arguments, and to think in terms of systems not in terms of silos. And that was Sir Suma Chakrabarti. 
If you want to track down the full audio and video from the webinar, you can find it on the past events section at WRI.org. That's where you can also stay across our work on how the world can build back better in the wake of the COVID crisis and much more from oceans to cities, food to climate. That's all for now. Goodbye.